Welcome inside the Celtics Life Podcast. With less than a month to go until training camp, we're heading into the slowest days of the basketball year. Even still, there's a little news worth talking about, from the Basketball Hall of Fame, to Standing Rock, North Dakota, all the way to Phoenix, Arizona. And we decided it was high time to settle some NBA scores with a one-and-done tournament that has almost nothing to do with basketball and everything to do with music. So stay tuned if you want to hear which NBA city has the claim to the best musical bands and artists. Until then, let's get to the important stuff, like mental health. I'm Justin here with Josh Coyne. Did you get a chance to listen to any of these articles by ESPN's Jackie McMullen, Josh? It's a pleasure to rejoin you, uh, Justin. It's been a while since I've been on the Celtics Life podcast. But uh, yeah, I did get a chance um, to have a read of the pieces. Well, sorry, I, I read a lot about it and I did hear some of some of it uh, from Jackie McMullen. I thought that it seems as though what some of the players who spoke out a couple of months ago, what they've done is opened the floodgates and almost removed some of the stigma within the sport. And I think that it speaks for kind of how advanced this, from a social aspect, how advanced the NBA as a league is uh, compared to other major sporting associations. Yeah, for me, it really struck me the response was so huge. And what that is telling me is that it really hit a nerve. You know, I think that uh, a, lot of, a lot of people in sports in general, particularly other sports like the U.S. US uh, major sports in particular, um, there's really kind of this antiquated idea of masculinity that is very prominent in a lot of those sports, particularly football, but also basketball. And it's, it's, you know, it's physically harmful in what, what people do to their bodies, uh, to, to, you know, kind of like maintain this idea of toughness. You know, some of that touched, uh, the Celtics with, uh, Mook and his brother Morris. I don't know. Like, I think that it was, uh, a perspective whose time had really come, and I think the fact that it was Jackie McMullen, there's really very few people with the gravity that she has in terms of covering the NBA, um, and I think that, that it was just a perfect coalition of, of different events coming together to make that even a possibility for really something that I think we're all the better for having had some exposure to, and you know, the dialogue is now moving forward. We'll see we'll see how teams adjust to this because I've seen a little bit of, I won't say backlash, but kind of some misunderstanding about what this means and even some owners who have kind of responded by kind of the absolute worst way. Like, should we be looking into these people's mental health in a way that is, I don't know, kind of invasive rather than helpful? Yeah, and... Uh, I agree with you about Jackie McMullen. Obviously, she's built up a level of trust with a lot of the players uh, who have spoken to her over the years. And it's only the, those kind of people who can, who can open up that kind of line of question and, you know, actually get something from, from it. Um, what you touched on about masculinity, the kind of archaic idea of it that's, that still exists within sports of, of masculinity. And, you know, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of listeners that will listen to this and think, um, we're speaking, um, absolute nonsense. But I've heard a lot of stuff over the last couple of weeks about this. And what one thing that I have heard is, uh, someone touch on the idea of, um, masculinity in sports, uh, being a problem in the sense that, um, one part of what makes a great sportsman is mental toughness. Um, and I don't think it's, I, I think that's 
kind of a naive response to this, to be honest. I think that the idea of mental toughness, I think, is such a broad, strange term to use in issues like this. What they basically mean by mental toughness is the idea of perseverance. And the spectrum of mental health is so kind of vast that perseverance is just a kind of a character trait. It has nothing to do with it. So that's something that has kind of irked me over the last couple of weeks in response to this. But the great thing is, is that um, it's kind of opened the eyes of many. And I'm sure that especially people coming into the league or just people who uh, who follow the NBA, who, who find um, these players to be somewhat of a role, role model, it's great that they actually feel comfortable enough to speak about it um, and not, not seem as though it's going to going to jeopardize their uh, chances of prosperity. I really like the way that you frame that, and I'd like to expand on it a little bit more. And that it's not about masculinity; it's about masculinities and how that interacts with mental health and mental wellness. There's a lot of different ways that you can be a man. Uh, there's a lot of ways that you can be mentally well. And it's different for everyone, and that is the important thing to remember, that the way to mental wellness as an individual, the way to mental wellness as an NBA player, is through being a social animal, through through communicating and, you know, putting your effort into relationships that get back to you, uh, and when you have serious things to work out, going to see someone who's trained in dealing with serious things, because it's okay if you want to talk about things with your friends, but there's also a limit to how much you can expect to get out of that. You know, even, even when I was a teenager, like that kind of talk uh, is exactly what, you know, uh, Marcus Morris was talking about in his article or his interview with Jackie McMullen in, in that even, even signaling that you might have any kind of thing that you're working through is, is viewed in a lot of context as softness and unaffordable softness. And that has kind of been brought into the league and most leagues really in ways that I think are really harmful. And without belaboring the point, you know, it's, I know it's a little bit older news, but I, you know, I did want to talk about it a little bit. Really. It's just about creating space for dialogue without, you know, jumping all over somebody and valuing mental health as part of overall health. Because if you're struggling with mental health issues, like a lot of players do, then it robs us. It robs us of good basketball players who drown their, their problems in substance abuse. It robs us in people who can't play games. You know, I mean, one of the big moments that stuck out to me from that was the Jackie McMullen conversation with Kevin Love. And that's a very recent example. And, you know, again, without belaboring it, I think it's just important that we, we at least open up the dialogue for hearing how people have been successful at getting on the court or showing up at work, you know, to make it just a regular work a day kind of thing or having a relationship with your family or your loved ones. So that's all I wanted to say about that. No, I agree. And, and to kind of make good, the reason people are obviously listening to this is because for the most part, they'll be Celtics fans. So it, it has probably affected way more than what we realise in terms of every team in the league and not even just the playing staff, but the staff and every, every kind of um, cog within the machine of every team that's ever been in the NBA have in some way been affected uh, by the lack of attention around mental health in the past within every sport, not just basketball. But to bring it back to the main point, which is the fact that most people are Celtics fans that are listening, the great thing to actually hear uh, from a um, 
Celtic's point of view is that it seems as though they have almost uh, blazed, uh, you know, blazed some trails um, in the sense of dealing with it. It seems as though there has been an open dialogue with guys like the guys like Morris um, uh, and Pierce in the past. He said he was struggling through something. Uh, Danny Ainge um, has openly, apparently, touched on the fact that he might have had um, some kind of issues uh, in the past. So it seems as though a lot of people have been touched on it in in Boston sports, um, and it also seems as though. Ainge and his staff have kind of made it a, um, a, a, a priority focus. So to draw it back into some, some more current uh, stuff that's been coming up, there is an instance that I was kind of alluding to earlier, though not directly, about it's good to talk. It is good to talk about, you know, points of friction in your life, points of friction with your peers, your friends, your family. Usually there's underlying issues there. But it's also important to make those conversations with the right people, the people who are directly involved and the people who are you know, trained to help you through mm-hmm. that sort of thing if you actually want that conversation to be beneficial. Now, what comes to mind when I say all these things is Ray Allen, again, coming out. And, you know, I, I, I'm aware of the fact that he just put out a book which is another sort of conversation, if you will, in certain ways. Uh, so there's something, you know, motivating him to continue this, I don't even know, drama, I guess you could call it, uh, about the 2008 uh, title team Celtics breaking up. And his, his he's had some more things to say about them. Um, I listened to some of it. I didn't listen to all of it. I will be perfectly honest because I'm just, I'm not interested in it anymore. And I've, I've even moved beyond, I moved beyond the, the, the exit, I've moved beyond the rancor. At this point, I just, I don't want to hear about it anymore. And I just want them to get out and talking to us, I don't think is the way for it to happen. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I agree with you. I think that it's something generally that needs to be um, mended internally. Um, but one thing I would say is that I think the, the media seem to have um, picked up on this idea that Ray Allen has a has a lot to say um, about his previous um, teammates and and the other way around. But I, I'm sure that we're constantly asking. I'm sure that every time he goes out to a golf course, um, uh, he'll have someone on the way off the course come out and you know ask him about what's going on with you and Rondo now and then. You know, so it's something where people will get a little bit of information and run with it. I know that he kind of promoting a book. Uh, for throughout a certain period of time, uh, and he is going out for the attention. Um, but I just think it's something at this point where you just have to. Re- if you do have any positive memories, which if you actually are a basketball fan, you will have of Ray Allen and the way he worked with his team on the court. Um, then you just have to kind of forget about it, turn a blind eye, like you said, and then hopefully. Um, for some people, they won't want to hear Ray Allen's name again because of what happened and the way in which he left the scene. But um, it's best if we just don't talk about this kind of thing anymore. It's in the past for a reason. So, with that, the big news of the week, uh, and I don't really think it's very big news personally, but you can maybe tell me I'm wrong. Um, Phoenix, the Suns, they are looking for Terry Rozier or some other, as they call it, top, or actually, I should say, as John Gambadoro, uh, Phoenix area radio personality, calls them uh, top point guards, which is great. I, I like hearing Terry Rozier's name in that conversation, at least for now. 
Uh, but there were some rumors that he and Kemba Walker and I think Dame Lillard were all asked into by that organization. Uh, there wasn't any much more information about it by then, so I kind of feel like it was probably just a, yeah, we, do, we don't want anything you have. Uh, if you want to throw us a ridiculous officer, or officer, ridiculous offer, maybe we can talk then, kind of a deal. Uh, but this is after they traded away their only really arguably starter level, lower end starting level uh, point guard in Brandon Knight along with Marquise Chris for Ryan Anderson and Anthony Melton. What do you what do you think is going on here? First, like two things going on. I want I'd like to know your opinion of that trade that kind of precipitated all of this. And like what is exactly going on there? And then should we be worried? So really it's one of those trades, uh, the initial trade that um, you can't fully kind of comprehend everyone's motive behind it. Um, based on the situations that they're in as a basketball team. Uh, but in terms of whether Celtics fans should be worried, I think for sure they should be worried about the future of their big Terry Rozier fans because of it, as we've all kind of forecasted, uh, with so much talent on the team and so much developing talent, uh, young talent, uh, eventually everyone knows that problems arise and someone's got to go. Um, and a lot of people think that that might be Rozier. But based on this uh this supposed interest, there's nothing to worry about. I think that Roger goes into the next season uh, with Boston, finishes the next season with Boston um, as a Celtic uh, because he's clearly said that he wants to contend. You know, obviously this wouldn't be up to him, uh, but I just don't see someone like Phoenix coming along um, and offering something that's going to um, make Ainge give up someone who adds not only depth, uh, but he's a big shot maker. He proved... Um, in in the postseason um, that's just gone, that even when, when when his time is called, he can make big shots and he can actually lead an offense in a really effective way. So I think that he's got a really high ceiling, almost to the point where because he came off because of a Kyrie, came onto the court because of a Kyrie injury with such regular minutes, people are almost um, counting below some starting point guards that haven't even got close to the level of talent that he has. Um, so I think eventually, yes, Boston fans should be worried. I think right now, with Phoenix sniffing around, nothing to worry about. I agree, too. I feel like it would take a Billy King kind of offer, like two two first-round picks and a worthwhile talent or three first-round picks, something in that kind of neighborhood, to actually make it worthwhile to Danny to... Because really, I, I'm really feeling what you're saying in terms of what he is able to bring to the to the second unit. You might end up making the difference, you know, downgrading uh, to, to another guy filling his shoes. Wanamaker, I would admit, Brad Wanamaker would probably end up filling his role as a third-string point guard instead of being kind of like backup insurance. And that could really be the difference... Uh, to have any kind of a chance of whatever comes out of the West, presumably Golden State, but really who knows. So I tend to to agree there's not too much to worry about at this point, but there would be another option uh, as a guard, which has a very interesting um, similarity in terms of their names. Uh, I'm not too sure that there's very much more similarity there other than the fact that they are also both guards. Uh, P.J. Perry Dozier, who is no relation to Terry Rozier, is 
uh, has been signed uh, since the last time we podcasted uh, to one of the last two-way spots, the other going to Jabari Bird. But he is, interestingly, a cousin of a rather famous, uh, or I should, maybe, maybe I should say infamous uh, Celtic, Reggie Lewis. And what do you know about uh, P.G. Dozier? Um, I absolutely love it. Uh, I, I Just from a kind of... Um, comical point of view i had to actually actually had to check how far removed away we were from april when i saw that tweet um because i thought it was some kind of joke by the boston celtics social media team when i saw the the tweet pop up um i think that we do have like even if the, from a basketball point of view it doesn't work out i think boston massachusetts has its um new Buddy Cop franchise in uh, Perry Dozier and Terry Rozier. Uh, it's going to be one hell of a movie franchise. Indeed. I don't expect too much from him, but, I mean, you know, he's a two-way guy, and let's hope that we don't have a, a repeat of the Hospital Celtics next season because that would be the only way that guy sees the floor. Uh, significantly, anyway. Uh, Bovada released their MVP odds a couple of weeks ago uh, with Kyrie at 16 and to one, uh, Gordon Hayward at 150 to one, and Tatum at 175 to one. Obviously, Kyrie's probably the only one who has any realistic chance at winning that. Um, I don't really think there's going to be too good of a chance. I, I kind of think that if anybody wins it this year, it's going to be somebody surprising. Perhaps, or maybe somebody who's kind of in the pipeline. Like I personally feel that as long as uh, the coaching situation with the Milwaukee Bucks works out as well as I think it's going to, that it's going to be Giannis this year for MVP. I haven't even really considered MVP yet, but all I will say is that um, whilst I think that Boston are going to have a really strong season. Um, None of those guys are going to be MVP. I think that in in the system they get, they're becoming more and more system players with a um, with their pure talent uh, shining through at times and really uh, progressing. But I don't think it's a kind of team where someone can just absolutely pound the stats. However, I would say that, that I think there's a really strong case uh, for if everything kind of went. Uh, in the opposite way in terms of luck to what you just said about the hospital Celtics. I think that there's a chance, uh, a semi-realistic chance uh, of, of five All-Stars um, within the two. I, I, I think that, um, I mean, considering looking at those odds, I, I, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, how much does Jalen Brown need to develop before people start to kind of give him his dues? I mean, Tatum is going into his second year and, and Brown put up unbelievable numbers when it mattered um, last year and continues to develop. Tatum has a kind of more aesthetically pleasing game offensively, um, but Jalen Brown must be looking at those odds and thinking, how is how am I not even mentioning this? And, and then you look at Al Horford, who is without a doubt, especially last year in the postseason, uh, the guy that everything kind of depended on in terms of ball movement, uh, defensive uh, positioning. He was he was phenomenal. And you just think from a fundamental point of view, it's just crazy that I'm not even in that initial list of three. And Gordon Hayward, who sat the whole season, is. <laughs> It'll be really interesting. Yeah, I'm obviously like everybody chomping at the bit for camp to start. That's going to be on the 25th of this month. Uh, before then, we are going to have the Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame inductions, and 
there will be a lot of Celtics there, either presenting or receiving uh, inductions. And let me think. Who, I believe it was Bill Russell, Larry Bird, and Dave Cowens presenting um, to Dino Raja for Larry Bird, Charlie Scott, uh, Dave Cowens, and I think I think Bill Russell is doing Rick Welts. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it, Bill Russell is doing Rick Welts, and Ray Allen will be inducted by Reggie Miller. While Gary Payton will be presenting for Jason Kidd's induction and Don Nelson for Steve Nash. Uh, did you happen to catch the story behind um, Don Nelson and Steve Nash? No, I didn't. No, tell me about it. Uh, it's going to be a, a horrible version of it because it was one of our regular readers, I believe it was Randall, uh, who brought it up that... The reason, okay, so first of all, the when you are inducted, you get to choose the person who brings you, like, the, the award and introduces you and all that stuff. So, I mean, Dino Raja asking for Larry Bird makes sense. You know, Charlie Scott and Dick Cowens makes sense. The, for Ray Allen to be asked by Reggie Miller, very obvious connection in, in the land of three-point plays. Uh, Gary Payton, I'm not clear on what the connection with, is with Jason Kidd exactly, but Don Nelson was especially confusing to me because I just could not meet him from entirely different generations. And mm. what it ends up being is Don Nelson's son uh, worked for Phoenix at the time and pushed really hard for them to draft him. Uh, and for whatever, whatever reason, you know, I, I, I tend to believe that it you know, the Nelsons weren't as instrumental as Steve believes they were in his career, but he really, really likes them a lot. Uh, so he ended up requesting them uh, because he really holds them in high regard for not just uh, the the time he spent with Phoenix, but I guess Don Nelson was also with Dallas. And I forget the details, but definitely a strong connection there. The only other thing that happened, and this is this is pretty old, was Kyrie's uh, Standing Rock Sioux ceremony. Did you did you catch any of the news about that? Yeah, I did see some of it. It seemed that um, it seemed to be a, a situation that Kyrie was was really truly genuinely uh, honoured by. Um, I know that there was some history there with his mother's family, and he was um, he, he seemed to really. Almost have a kind of bit of a, an epiphany over the summer from what I, from what I saw visually putting the pieces together, um, and uh, it seems it's a special way to spend your off season, um, as long as he kind of didn't hurt his knee in any way, shape, or form when he was there. <laughs> yeah, I, for for those who are uh, living in a cave or just gave up on basketball for the summer, um, he was honored by the Standing Rock Sioux because, like you, you were mentioning, his mother was part of the tribe initially she was adopted out of it his grandmother is still a member um his mother passed when he was very young uh, I, I think it was like five four or five years old very very young so he and his sister did not really know that particular element of their their background very very well uh until fairly recently when he became involved with the standing rock movement uh to fight the dakota access pipeline um in, in, you know, concern for the water in the area, rightfully so, because it's leaked all over the place since then, unfortunately. Um, so to, to, to see his, his participation in that to be like such, such a non-superficial thing, uh, it was really heartwarming. I agree. Um, 
I don't know if there is going to be any future stuff going on between them, but I would definitely like to see that. As a lot of our listeners and readers know, I am very much in favor of NBA stars using their platform for good causes. This one's pretty apolitical unless you happen to work for oil companies, I guess. Um, so not too much to be controversial there, but even if they are into something controversial, I personally don't mind it. I won't labor that anymore because I know that some of you don't like to hear it, but, uh, you know, for me, it was a really cool thing, even, even just on a cultural level to be able to see them make that connection and to do so on a pretty large scale. Yeah. And, and, you know, if you're still on board with Kyrie, um, as, as, as a guy, it means that you've, You've already kind of accepted that he believes the world is, is round. So I, I would say that, I would say that maybe, um, the political, um, opinions of Kyrie Irving shouldn't be something that would bother you. So with the, the lack of things going on in the off season hanging on us like mid season humidity, we decided to bring a little tournament action your way. And since there's no NBA basketball to talk about, you know, fantasy basketball style or whatever, we decided to mix things up a little bit and take each NBA franchise, put them in kind of an NCAA-style one-and-done tournament, but using the cities which have the best music as the terms of how they compete, well, that's what our tournament is. So we're going to take the an 18 field basically drawn from the consensus projection of four teams in the league, which... As far as I'm aware, you can tell me if you disagree, uh, is Golden State, Boston, Houston, and Toronto. Yep. Uh, and then we threw in some of the rivalries out there for the Celtics, you know, classic ones like the Lakers and not so classic ones like Denver, uh, with, you know, the idea being that, you know, Isaiah Thomas is out there. So we'll have a little bit of something going on, but also the 76ers and Wizards kind of more, you know, there's some history, at least with the 76ers, but a little bit of manufactured rivalry from the NBA going on also. Um, each round will have us debate the best artist from that team city that we think will be our opposing team's artist in terms of musical importance, the winner advancing. Um, we're not going to do this super, you know, like competitive style. This is kind of just more to suss out which NBA teams have the best music, uh, in terms of artists who have a claim on that city. They don't have to necessarily be there now, just we're born there to perform there, uh, long-term, not as you know, a single night. Um, so we had to split some of the artists, uh, New York and Los Angeles were teams, obviously that each have two. So for those guys, one team gets the, the even letter names, like, you know, a being one and B being two and the other team gets the odd number ones, just, you know, arbitrary. Uh, we figured that would represent things the best we could. So with seven matches to get through, let's get to it for the first Matchup, we've got Golden State and Denver. Okay, so looking at Golden State and Denver, who are who are the artists that have been kind of highlighted, um, if, if you can reveal it, uh, for Golden State and Denver? The, the best ones that we could come up with were Green Day, Souls of Mischief, Digital Underground, and MC Hammer. So we've got a little bit of underground appeal. We've got a lot of commercial appeal. Uh, it seems to skew pretty heavy to hip hop. Uh, but you know, if you like power punk, there's Green Day. So let's look at, let's look at Denver's artists for that. We have Earth, Wind and Fire, Sugarloaf, which is for those of you who are completely unaware, uh, the band that did Green Eyed Lady from the sixties tells you kind of what kind of 
you know, substrate of music we're, we're dealing with here. Winner, the power metal band from the 1980s and a more recent hit artist, The Fray. Yeah, so firstly, I'm just going to do a really quick disclaimer that a lot of people will be listening to this kind of screaming out bands from that area. And uh, it truly is the mean- meaning of subjective tournament audio. Um, so so let's go. Um, for me, personally, um, out of the selections of those areas, I would say that the bands that I believe to have the most impact in all of the kind of different categories that you've dis- discussed, I would say that Earth, Wind and Fire should be Denver's choice. And I'm going to say that Green Day should be uh, the Golden State choice. What 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 is your thoughts on that? Oh, boy. Well, I'm older, so you might not agree with me, but I really feel that Earth, Wind and Fire was probably the best overall artist out of all of them. However, yeah. however, you could argue that Green Day has a sort of cult status that... I would not necessarily be complete. I, w- I wouldn't ridicule the idea that they're a better band than Earth, Wind, and Fire. But personally, I'm going to go with Earth, Wind, and Fire here. And actually, say that uh, Denver beats the Warriors. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not going to lie to you, and this is going to make podcast gold uh, in the sense that for some reason I just went straight for who the best artist was. But I'm fully on board now. We're basically looking at the best music from the area and choosing between the area. Okay, here we go. I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to completely agree with you. However, I don't feel that strongly about the inclusion of the fray, um, but I'm fine otherwise. Um, so we're going to go for Denver advancing to the next round. Now, with Golden State eliminated. I mean, that has to happen somewhere, doesn't it? It does. And, you know, it's kind of nice. But this brings us to, for at least our fan base, the most important matchup. Uh, Boston versus Washington. So I'm going to, I'm going to read out, uh, Boston's and you go ahead and read out Washington. So what we've looked at for Boston, um, uh, what we could pick out, uh, from Boston is Gangstar, who formed, um, in Boston, um, but went on to kind of get more acclaim, I believe, as kind of a, a Brooklyn artist, but you've got to claim people if they were born and formed there. So, and then Boston, Boston, the band, uh, um, more than the feeling, isn't it, Boston? That is them. Okay, House of Pain, Jump Around, and then Cars. Tell me about Cars real quick. Okay, so Rick Ocasek is their lead singer. He was born in Boston. The band formed in Boston. Um, they have a lot of classics from the 80s. They're a new wave band. Uh, the only one I can think of off the top of my head is you might think it's Magic. Um they are. They were very huge at the time. I don't know that they have had the kind of staying power that you know. Say, if you look at Washington. They have some pretty important old school musicians in the in the form of Dillington and Jazz. That is pretty unassailable. Like that is one of the godfathers of that genre. And then two iconic bands from the punk rock scenes: Bad Brains and Fugazi. Uh, you could even like claim the minor threat, but I figured that was a little bit too much. Um, and then a fairly modern band, uh, electronic musician, uh, 
Thievery Corporation. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with them, but if you haven't heard them, they have some of the best down tempo out there. Uh, nice fusion of East Asian, um, like dub, reggae, and modern electronica. Really good stuff. Uh, I don't know if they have the volume that the rest of stuff have out there, but you know, the pickings weren't super, super thick for Washington either. Uh, what do you think? I think that there's a, a case to be made for both. Um, I know that anyone listening to this will be um, very strongly biased, of course. Um, but what I would say is that if, if the argument kind of was in the favor of um, you know, songs played at parties and, and, and things like that, I think Boston uh, would be advancing um, in this round. I think that Gangstar with Guru um, being one of my actual favorite rappers um, and that's exactly what everyone on this podcast uh, <laughs> wants to hear, which is the, which is the opinion of a, a white British fan. Uh, but yeah, a Guru from the Gangster, one of the best kind of lazy drawl flows ever. Um, but more than a feeling is a banger. Jump around is a banger, um, and then so much of Gangster is is a banger. But in terms of importance within the genre, uh, unfortunately, I'm going to say that Washington wins this. Yeah, you know, if we're going to look at commercial success, then I'm I'm going to have to go with Boston here. But if we're going to go with, you know, for Fevery Corporation, they, they have kind of stage for what down-tempo music should sound like now. If you listen to punk rock, I don't need to tell you about Fugazi or Bad Brains. And if you listen to jazz, then I don't need to tell you about Denton. So we're going to get a lot of shit for this, but I'm, I'm going to have to agree mercifully i don't think there's any chance whatsoever of washington advancing against boston in real life no as much as they keep trying to forge a rivalry um worlds ahead at the moment so let's not worry about that um but we've just got to go with uh, with our gut and on this occasion um maybe uh, the the listeners can tell us about more interesting music within boston that we're missing um be- because Hopefully, eventually, as as in real life, um, in any future postseason matchups, Boston should be taking uh, taking down Washington. So let's make that happen. Now we have Houston versus Los Angeles, even lettered because it's the Lakers. Uh, that from the Lakers gave us Rage Against the Machine, Tool, Dr. Dre, and Jane's Addiction, which is a murderer's row right there. Uh, what do you got for Houston? Many people um, in Quebec will be ashamed to hear us say that Arcade Fire, uh, we are considering a Houston band because of the um, origin of the singer Wynn Butler. Um, and then you've got Beyonce, who, despite the efforts of many, um, not many, there's, there's essentially just no one bigger than her in music um, right now. Um, and then, obviously, as she is a byproduct of Destiny's Child, who we're, we're considering in this. And then you've got ZZ Top, so any kind of bearded rockers will tell us that uh, they're, um, uh, they, they really hold Houston's case uh, and make it stronger. Um, for me, though, in terms of impact um, on the music scene and everything that kind of surrounds it, it has to be LA. I mean, Rage Against the Machine and Dr. Dre. Yeah, I mean, and Tool, Jane's Addiction, I mean, there's just fundamental genre shifting. Like, I mean, Dr. Dre completely changed hip-hop production forever. 
you know? Yeah. I mean, in the tree that spreads out from, from him and his his even even the stuff before NWA is just absolutely mm-hmm. massive in terms of not just West Coast music, but just music. And, you know, like all the prog metal bands that are out now basically owe a debt to Tool for really setting the stage for that music. Rage Against the Machine kind of, you know, it gave, you know, you have divined by now that I was into punk rock and hardcore music uh, before, you know, the present. I still listen to it from time to time, but my palette of emotions and music have kind of, you know, expanded. So I'm not angry all the time, but I was really, really into Rage Against the Machine's uh, predecessor band, Inside Out, and just to see where, where they took hardcore as a genre into uh, popular music, uh, and to a lesser extent, Jane's addiction with, with a certain kind of punk rock from that era. Um, I don't think there's any anything at all. I think realistically, only Beyonce holds a candle to that. I love Arcade Fire. Z Top was great to listen to when my parents were hanging out. No offense, parents. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I think that um, if, if you're going to take into consideration cultural impact, um, I think that You've already highlighted, but this is this is the kind of feeling that I have personally from what I know, and that is that Rage Against the sorry Rage Against the Machine and Dr. Dre have created a feeling of something being more than music. Um, uh, obviously, Dre with his work in NWA and uh, as a solo artist, not only did he have an impact on almost every hip hop artist and especially producer working now, um, but. Similarly to Rage Against the Machine, he was part of something bigger from a social and political point of view. So I would say it has to be Los Angeles Lakers, and I'm so sorry to say that. Yep. Well, you know, again, let them have their, their day in the sun because they ain't winning shit this year. In the real world, anyway. Um, this brings us to a very likely Eastern Conference matchup uh, in the postseason, Toronto and Philadelphia. Now, I'll take Toronto here just because I found it very difficult to include one of these people in the, the list of, of stars just because I, he just is such a corny dude to me, but whatever. Uh, Drake be one of their artists, uh, Rush, the prog rock band uh, that is every drummer's favorite band, except for me, um, <laughs> uh, and everyone's favorite white non-Jamaican reggae toaster, Snow. And then, I okay, so we'll go into the our opinions on Toronto in a moment, but um, over in Philadelphia, we've got Roots and... Um, Paul and Oates, who have had almost like a second wave within the last five years uh, because of the use of uh, You Make My Dreams Come True in uh, every kind of commercial worldwide, it seems. Um, and then you've got the Fresh Prince himself, Will Smith, and Erica Bardu. So that that's a really strong list for me. Um, I, w- I would say from a basketball point of view, I know that we're not talking kind of about their influence on basketball, but I'm assuming that uh, from your personal preference, you're assuming you're referring to Drake as the corny dude. Yes, indeed. Um, Okay. So, um, so Drake, I think has just had a a phenomenal impact on uh, kind of modern culture, whether people like it or not. He's, He's a guy who 
every, every move that he makes, every song that he makes, almost to the point of every lyric, has an associated meme with it. Uh, online culture, he is just a meme machine. He is a kind of so, social and cultural phenomenon. Um, and everything that he does becomes a viral video. Um, so I, I really think, and from a basketball point of view, his music is used in everything. Um, he's there being a, a kind of, um, as I'll use your words, he's there being a corny mascot at games and pretending to be angry at basketball players who are twice his size. That's all fun and games. Um, but I think you, they, it's just, there's no denying his impact, uh, on, um, pop culture, but I've gone on a completely uh, outrageous rant considering I'm... No, no, this is good to cover because I recognize all those things. I do not dispute them. My personal taste for Drake really has zero bearing on his cultural impact, his musical impact, and all of those things are true. Well, it, it's especially funny considering I'm not even going to choose Toronto. I'm going for Philadelphia. <laughs> Fair, you know, and I tend to agree mostly just because Hollow Notes, you know, even though they are pretty corny now and were corny when they came out, had a not comparable in terms of the basketball world, but they had an ubiquity that they were just all over the radio all the time in the 80s. And I have been noticing that with the commercials and uh, like a lot of mixtapes, like, you know, I've been hearing some mixtapes in New York City where people will mix in, like, I can't go for that. And a lot of other standards that they have, uh, Man Eaters, stuff like that, remixes. They're getting a lot of remixes lately, too. I don't know why. It's really weird. Erica Badu is kind of cool for a hot second. We all know how, how just on every level what Will Smith has done, not just even, you know, he, he takes, he was Drake before Drake was Drake. He's a corny rapping, acting uh, I don't know how many people know. Do people know that he used to act Drake in Degrassi High, I think it was? Yeah, I think so. I think people know that to the point where um, the, I think there are a fair few memes of his kind of shooting. I believe he was shot in, in his final scene in Degrassi High. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a, a few points just to kind of support the Philadelphia cause. I know that um, I've never really got wildly into his music, but I would say that uh, I believe Diplo is from um, Philadelphia, uh, and he's made way in electronic. Oh, very much. Yeah. Uh, and the shoe shoegazy rock band uh, War on Drugs uh, from uh, Philadelphia. So I'm going to go with Philadelphia. Oh, and Meek Meek Mill, uh, who is is kind of Philadelphia's version of Drake uh, to this point. So I'm going to go and. In terms of how much of a mascot he seems to be for the basketball team. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and say Philadelphia. I will have to wholeheartedly agree. Also, just because I love the roots, they are on Jimmy Kimmel. They have influenced countless, countless Philadelphia area musicians. Uh, they, I mean, the city itself, all the way back to like the sound of Philadelphia, Gamble and Huff. It's a very instrumental musical city, so, I mean, even when you put the cream of the crop of Toronto up against them, if, if we're going to, like, draw on the city's broader musical history, as you were just alluding to, I, I don't think there's any com comparison whatsoever. So, Philly fans, rejoice in advance. Now, here's where it gets kind of complicated. At this point, we've got... Denver and Washington versus Los Angeles and Philadelphia for the two two separate matches. What's your case for Denver or Washington or each other? 
I think my case for Washington is exactly the same as in the previous round, which is kind of um, pivotal impact on the music, uh, the genre in which they exist. I think that there are so many bands where you can hear elements of Fugazi uh, that exist now, um, and and the same obviously with Duke Ellington because all kind of huge jazz musicians from 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 history have had some kind of impact on an absolute multitude uh, of subgenres of music. So I would say that just from that point of view, I would have to say that um, that, that there's no winner other than Washington. What about you? I, I really can't argue with that. I mean, to, to expand upon that, uh, Bad Brains gave an entire generation of people of color support for the idea that they too could be in music that is not commonly associated with people of color, i.e. punk rock. So, I mean, there are so many good bands that look back to, to these bands for not just what they did musically, but what they, what they did as people uh, that I don't really see anything like that. I mean, like Kip Winger, he's a handsome dude, but uh, that's about all he had going for him besides Winger, you know? And... I like Earth, Wind, and Fire. They got some catchy tunes, but Sugarloaf, not not even in, they shouldn't even be in this conversation. I mean, most people don't even know who they are. They might recognize Green Eyed Lady when they hear it, but it's one song, guys. So yeah, I'm going with Washington also. Yeah, and I believe uh, the the band Death Cab for Cutie might be from Washington, um, uh, who had quite the impact. Um, and then from a broader point of view, um, there are uh, several great bands that come from that area and several great uh, solo artist so I'm going to have to go Washington as well so Lakers Lakers excuse me not Lakers Los Angeles and Philadelphia we've got for those who forgot Radiance Machine Tool Dr. Dre James Addiction for the Lakers Roots Hall and Oates Will Smith Erica Badu for Philadelphia who you got Los Angeles I, I think that it's such a hotbed uh, of talent I think that you, if you were to actually look at the list uh, of Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, sorry, I keep going to say Lakers. Uh, sorry to the Clippers fans out there. It's okay. Um, uh, that definitely won't be listening to this podcast. Um, but, <laughs> but I'm going to go ahead and say that um, the list for Los Angeles and musical talent uh, will be so extensive that we'd have to do a whole separate podcast uh, if we were going to go through that, which we're absolutely not going to do. So... I'm going to have to go for Los Angeles. Uh, the band that I always associate with Los Angeles will be the Red Hot Chili Peppers, who were a real favourite growing up. But um, from the bands... Oh, they are a polarising band. I love them, personally. I grew up with them also. Uh, but I have some friends who will kick me out of the house if I try to play some of them. So, so there's that. Um, I don't know about you, but for me, even even... With this, you know, filtering action going on of a one-and-done tournament, I still feel that Los Angeles, unfortunately for us East Coast-oriented peoples, just obliterates Washington even. Do you see any case where Los Angeles loses to Washington? Um, I, I see a case. Um, <laughs> okay, so I'm, look, I'm looking at it now, and I think that just from a from a, the the – what I was saying previously, I've got to say that Los Angeles has to be the team that 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 are crowned, which seems ridiculous because I can't wait for the um, uh, the comment where someone takes it out of context uh, on an article and says that Celtics live back Los Angeles for the championship. 
Yeah, unfortunately we don't, but you know, there's some built-in structure that we can't control, like the fact that the global entertainment industry's nexus happens to be Los Angeles. So <laughs> the decks are stacked, folks. We need we need some uh some musical uh I don't know, cap cap uh limits or something. I don't really know how we would structure that, but uh I guess having two NBA teams in each city was the best we could come up with, so that'll have to do. We don't have anything else to talk about in terms of basketball because there is nothing else going on in terms of basketball. But you can check out the links at the top of CelticsLife.com where we have a huge variety of shirts. Uh, you can find the pod on Wooshka, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and most podcatcher apps. Please, we're not ever asking you to financially contribute to this podcast to support it. It costs money and it costs time to make happen. If you like what you hear, please give us a review. Give us a good review, preferably. Uh, if you don't like something, don't give us a bad review. That just makes it harder for us to reach people. It makes things harder for us to do. We want to listen to you. We want to bring you the Celtics coverage the way you want it, the way you like it. So just let us know with a comment on any Celtics Life article or on Twitter with a hashtag CPod. I'm Justin Quinn signing off with Josh Coyne. We will be in touch soon because camp is only a few weeks away. Anything you want to say before we get out of here, Josh? No, thank you very much for having me. Um, and thank you very much for letting me, um, as I often do, talk about music. Even if it was just a reminder of how desperate we are for the off-season the off to end. Anytime, man. Take care, y'all.